Welcome to this week's session of Pricked the Interviews. My name is Kim Brown Sims, and as a nurse of over three decades, I've always said that I've pricked many, many people, and it was always for their own good. Pricked is an interview series that touches on those situations that cause us to react. Positive, negative, inspired, angered. Energy is created, and through telling the stories of what has pricked us in our lives, we gain insight to the common bonds in humanity. Great and powerful action can result from even the littlest prick. Join me now as we jump into another incredible story about being pricked. This is the Pricked Interview Podcast, and I am your host, Kim Brown Sims. Today's podcast is called Being Short Isn't a Legacy, which is a tongue-in-cheek way of saying that leaving a legacy is more than just what you see on the surface. It's a focus on character and intent, how you act every single day, and not just the size of your wallet. Our guest today, Jay Hodge, says that the legacy he works on every day is leaving people he interacts with feeling that he loved them. How amazing would it be if we all worked on leaving that legacy? Let's delve in and start talking about being pricked and what impact that prick had on Jay's life and legacy to date. Well, hello, listeners, and welcome to today's version of Pricked. I have the honor to invite the incredible Jay Hodge to the table with me today. Uh, Jay is the founder and president of Jay Hodge and Associate, a lean management consulting company specializing in strategy development, lean leadership development, and the implementation of lean management systems in organizations across multiple industries. Jay is a published author, The Lean Treasure Chest, and Photos of Fatherhood, with 30 years of demonstrated operational leadership in organizations such as Toyota, General Motors, Caterpillar, Ford, Tenet Healthcare, and the United States Marine Corps. His experience has demonstrated that simply using the lean tools is easy, but effectively leading in a lean organization requires a completely different kind of leadership one that necessitates a level of engagement, accountability, and ownership seldom demonstrated. A lean leader is first a servant, someone who understands that they will never be more important than the very people that they serve, influence, and impact. Success in a lean organization is about having a focused strategy, a documented plan, clearly defined expectations and metrics, and most importantly, a willingness by leadership to get neck deep in the daily mud puddle we refer to as operations. Effective lean leadership is a catalyst for a lean culture. Jay, it's amazing to have you here today. And I just have to say that you and I had the privilege of doing lean projects in healthcare together some years back. And I am just incredibly thrilled now to call you not only a colleague, but also a friend. So welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Kim. I appreciate it. I've been looking forward to this and uh, I, I know the impact that you're having and I'm looking forward to be a part of that. Well, I appreciate you willing to share your gifts with our listeners and they are plentiful, those gifts. And I'm just absolutely amazed at your accomplishments. I'm wondering if you would just take a minute and give your listeners a little bit of a taste of who you are and what you're passionate about. Sure. Um, I'm passionate about uh, my God and my family. I mean, if if I ended just on that sentence right there, I I said I said basically everything. But it, it goes past that. I've been so blessed in so many ways 
at a personal level and a professional level. You know, I started my career in the Marine Corps, uh, married the love of my life. She's actually four years older than me. I fell in love with her when I was 16. She wouldn't have anything to do with me until I got out of high school. We dated after I got out of high school, married a year later. So uh, my dream come true. She's my Cinderella story. And I'm the guy with the slippers, I guess you could say. I look really bad in, in, in glass slippers, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> don't want to go there. But between the Marine Corps, I think the Marine Corps taught me some skills and some disciplines that have allowed me to to be successful in my career with, say, Ford, General Motors. Toyota was probably the pinnacle of my career. And that from that point, you know, starting my own business over five years ago, been very, very successful with Jay Hodge and Associates. And it has very little to do with me, to be honest. Um, the teams that I work with, organizations that I partner with, they are so engaged and so on fire to to allow me to be part of their uh, their journey that it has made uh, Jay Hodge and Associates look successful. But they get the credit. Well, isn't that the epitome of leadership, though, really, is giving the credit to the people who do the work? Absolutely. It's, it's like they say, leaders, we get all of the credit or we get none of the credit. We take none of the credit, but take all of the blame because it's our job if there's an issue to address the issue. We don't ever throw anybody under the bus. Oh, my gosh, it's, it's a nightmare to watch someone actually do that to someone who works for them. Well, it certainly doesn't instill trust or confidence in the individual who's being thrown under the bus. It hurts both on a, well, if you were being thrown under a bus, it would hurt on a physical level, but it hurts on an emotional level. And it hurts your sense of confidence as the person who is being thrown under the bus. And that in and of itself will stifle imagination and the individual's voice. And once mm -hmm. you're team members become silent. You've lost it. You've lost your ground. You've lost your ability to lead. Absolutely. If someone throws me under the bus, I will probably never trust them again. That's the problem. It just takes one time for that to happen. Well, and that's the truth. And, you know, and it's interesting because I have a lot of guests on the show and they discuss various topics. And many times we come back to leadership and almost every single time trust comes up, not mm -hmm. only in reference to leadership, but just being a part of a team and doing good in the world. If you erode the trust, you erode your ability to build solid relationships. And we all know that relationships are the pinnacle to being successful in life. Absolutely. So you know that this show, Pricked, is all about creating a movement of connection within humanity, right? We are all connected through that human connection. And we have all at one time or another in our lives been pricked by something, a situation, a person, finding out bad news, something has pricked us. So, you know, what we do is invite people to share a story here about being pricked and kind of tell us what they did with the energy that was produced from that. Because when you're doing that, you are giving the gift of validation and most likely inspiration and hope. So do you have a prick story to share with us today? I do. I've got um, I've got a couple opportunities, but I think the one that's probably the most impactful in my life is when Barbara and I were married, right after we were married, um, um, she got pregnant and we had our first child named Justin. And Justin was just a 
beautiful, beautiful baby. I mean, round, plump. I called him the albino baby walrus. He was that chunky. It was just insane. You put him in a bathtub and he would just displace all of this water. (laughs) And uh, we noticed that as he was developing, you know, four, five, six months, that something wasn't right. He wasn't looking at us and like looking at us. He was looking through us. He was looking around. And, you know, there's a lot of couples that had babies about the same age in the Marine Corps because we're in the Marines at this time. And I was stationed in Jacksonville, Florida for six months. And Barbara and Justin were in Colorado with my parents until I got a permanent duty station after my training. And so Barbara and my mom and Justin actually drove from Colorado out to Florida. And I remember, you know, as a 21-year-old dad, E3 in the in the Marine Corps. So we really had nothing. And I remember Barbara coming into the uh, into our hotel room and, and we she laid Justin down on the bed and he's wearing this little Denver Broncos onesie, just adorable, and he's asleep. And she sits down on the side of the bed and she asks me to sit down. And uh, I sit down next to her and she looks at me and she holds my hand and she says, We just found out that Justin is blind. And you know, I'm 21 years old. I'm a Marine. I've learned all this discipline all my life. I've been very disciplined and very, quote unquote, strong. But I was crushed. I, I broke down in a way that I've, I've never broken down before or ever broken down again because I was just scared. I was scared at a level that I don't think anything could really scare me like that. You know, being attacked by a bear. Yeah, you're scared. But this is a very, very different kind of scared because I had this little nine-month-old boy that needed a daddy that could help him reach his potential, help him be the man that, you know, he wanted to be, that God wanted him to be, that um, that he had the potential to become. And I didn't know how to do it. I, I didn't know my first child is has a quote-unquote disability. I didn't know how to do it. And I was terrified. And Barbara and I realized at that moment, um, you know, after a couple months later, when we went to NIH and went to Bethesda and went to all the specialists and they said, well, chances are he's going to end up in a school for the blind. And Barbara and I, luckily for me, Barbara is as strong, if not stronger than me. We said, no, that's not going to happen. And we spent the next 18 years taking this little guy and helping him become the man that he had the potential to become. And, and he uh, graduated number three in his high school, regular high school. He was an accomplished high school and junior high wrestler. Most people think that you can't do sports when you're blind. Luckily, I was a uh, wrestler all my life. And so he learned to wrestle. Kind of an interesting story. He went to college. He's a mechanical engineer. So, you know, for me, the pricked moment in my life that really stands out is that that moment where I found out that life as I expected it to be being a dad wasn't quite what it was going to be expected to be. And so I had to step up and become the dad that he needed me to be, the husband that Barb needed me to be. So that was my first story. It gave me chills. It absolutely gave me chills. And you know what I what I heard while you were telling that story is in that moment when Barbara shared with you the information that Justin was blind is this overwhelming sense of 
fear, but also helplessness. Mm -hmm. Because how do you change something that can't be changed? Mm -hmm. It's like receiving information. I'm likening it to receiving the information about my mother having stage four lung cancer, right? Mm -hmm. You cannot change that situation. It's all of the emotions hit you all at once. And the fear is that you're going to lose this person or you're not going to be able to provide for this person in the way that you had envisioned. Mm -hmm. And the helplessness is I can't change the situation. I can only, as it is, I can only change how I respond and what I do moving forward. That's exactly right. And so that was the, the third stage, basically, was, you know, and I think maybe God put me in the Marine Corps when this happened for a reason is it's time to go to war. We're, we're not going to accept defeat. You know, in the Marine Corps, death before dishonor. So basically, Barbara and I took on the same approach as we will not go down without a fight. We're going to do everything we can to help him succeed. So... Yeah. Well, absolutely. And that's what you do as a parent as well, right? Your yep. your whole focus becomes, how do I remove the obstacles to my child or children being able to achieve their ultimate desired outcome? What do I do in order to facilitate as smooth a road as possible? And I think some would argue that if you give your children everything, which Removing obstacles is different than giving them everything. Mm -hmm. But if you do your best to remove obstacles and, you know, that they won't appreciate when the hard times come, but the reality is they do appreciate it because they understand that what you've done for them isn't isn't doing the work. It's only paving the way. That's right. And, and part of removing obstacles, sometimes it's not removing the obstacles. Sometimes it's walking with them through the obstacle and showing them how to remove it themselves. And some, you know, that, that's love a difficult it. thing because as parents, you know, we love our kids. I've got three kids and I would love to um, just fix all of their problems. But if, if my parents had done that for me, Barbara and I wouldn't be where we are today. Part of the reason that we are where we are today and the success that we've seen is because we've faced some huge adversities we face some some issues in our, in our marriage and our kids, with our lives, with our parents. We faced all of these and overcome them. And that's really kind of created the foundation for, for what God has allowed us to become. Well, absolutely. It's giving, you know, it's it's being the wings. They have the wings. It's just allowing them to spread the mm -hmm. wings and fly, right? right? It's kind of being that, you know, to the Bette Midler song, Wind Beneath My Wings. It's like, how do you put them aloft? Did, because did you, you can't solve sing? the problems for them. Did Go you ahead. I would love to hear you sing. Go ahead. <clears throat> Never mind. I've got a frog in my throat. Keep going. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh, one of these days I'll get you to sing. I've sang on video in front of the whole world. So, you know, one of these days it's going to be you. Oh, just, I'm going to find that. Be guaranteed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. You know, there actually ends up being a time, you know, as kids grow older, they want to really prove their independence. And mm -hmm. um, then they don't want your help. And so you kind of have to help from the back. And the other thing that I am experiencing myself with my own child is she's really in a place where she has a definite plan. And as parents, we know that those definite plans, just to your the point of your story, you you know, we know that those definite plans don't always work out the way we envision or the way we hope that they will. 
And so it's really giving them the tools to be able, like you were saying, to catch themselves when they fall or to recognize that the world is made up of what I call CDC. And no, it's not that CDC that everybody's (laughs) been talking about. It's CDC choices, decisions, and consequences. So you have Mm -hmm. choices in front of you, you make a decision based off of whichever choice you think is going to be the best for you, understanding what the consequences of that decision look like. And then once you are immersed in the consequences of that decision, if they end up being consequences that truly are unpalatable or not what you expected, you have the opportunity to make a different decision. It doesn't mean that the world has ended. And I think it just takes life experience to get to the place where you recognize that the world isn't going to end based off a decision or changing your mind because a decision you've made is not the right decision for you. Absolutely. And, and, your, and your point about, um, you know, parenting, our role kind of changing, it's, it's spot on. You know, it, it's very similar in some ways to business. You know, a, a leader in an organization can make things happen because they have the authority to say, this is how we're going to do it. As a parent up to a certain age, we have the same authority. We say, as a family, this is what we're going to do because I'm mom and dad, and we say this is how we're going to do it. But at some point in in a professional environment, especially for someone like me that's a consultant, I don't have, quote-unquote, authority. I have to lead through influence, and leading through influence requires people to trust me. It's the exact same thing when you're parenting a child who turns 18 or 21, and they're now on their own. You can't tell them what to do anymore. But hopefully over the years, you've built a relationship and a trust with them that you can now help lead them through influence. And the only way that people can lead through influence goes back to trust. So it's, it's basically the same thing. It absolutely is. Trust and listening. So, mm-hmm. you know, what I, the situation I frequently find myself in now is she'll be talking about this is the direction I'm going and these are the steps that I'm taking and blah, blah, blah. And if I insert any, well, here's been my experience, she gets a little defensive, like, you know, don't be trying to tell me what to do, like almost like it's coming, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I've become very adept and I've often likened parenting and leadership to one another, because it is true. I've become really adept at sitting back and just listening. And when she gets to a point where she's questioning herself, I'll say, well, what what ideas do you have? Or what do you think the outcome of this decision versus this decision will be? And I just Mm -hmm. listen. And then if there is an opportunity to insert some advice, or if she actually asks me, which she's not been doing a lot yet, but I think it will come in the future. It did, at least with me as I matured, Mm -hmm. you know, then I I insert my opinion or I give uh, advice only if asked or only if it's a natural part of the conversation. Because if I try to direct right out the gate, her wall just goes up. And it's because she's trying to, you know, become an independent adult. So. Absolutely. I've got a 33, a 30 and a a 19 year old. And you're exactly right. You know, they go through this phase where, you know, um, I'm independent and I know everything. I don't need mom and dad. They're old fuddy daddies. They wear old people's shoes and and do boring (laughs) things and fall asleep in front of the TV. Why would they know anything? Right. You're 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 just way past your prime. But then all of a sudden they get to the 25, they get out of college, you get to the 25 and 26, and then they start talking about insurance and taxes and, and car payments and rent and buying a house and all these things that they've not, no experience on whatsoever in life, getting married, you know, all of that stuff. And all of a sudden they start to realize, wait a second, mom and dad have done this. Maybe they had have some good ideas and they do. And I, I'm 54 years old almost 54 years old, and I still ask my dad for advice. 
And you know, sometimes I ask him for advice because I really, really, really need it. And sometimes I ask him for advice because I want I want him to believe and, and know that I still do need him. Because for me, the, the worst case scenario in my life would be to get to the point where I'm not needed. Right. I think that's what a lot of adults say and realize is that the key to living a fulfilled life, especially as we age and we're not doing the day in, day out work like we did when we were younger, is still being needed. So I can definitely see myself being involved on boards and volunteer activities because that's a way to give back and still feel like you contribute. Absolutely. And Right. And 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 still feel like w- the life experience that you have is valuable, which kind of is a natural transition into what we thought we'd talk about today, which is leaving a legacy. And so the first thing I'm going to ask you about is your podcast, which I've had the honor of being on the thousand year legacy. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the premise behind that? And then let's talk about legacy, leaving a legacy and and making an impact on the world. Sure. Um, so I started the podcast, you know, a couple months ago. And for me, as I've I've grown older, gotten older through the years, it just seems like so much of what we focus on in our lives is, you know, what we can accomplish. What, you know, what's what's sitting in our car? What type of house do we have? Where do we go on vacation? And it was an interesting conversation I had with my 33-year-old son a while back, he says, Dad, I don't really remember all the big vacations. But what I do remember is on the 4th of July, we would always do sparklers on the back porch or or we would go fishing here or or you would take us to, to ice cream after Brittany's soccer or my youngest son after every tournament, you, you'd always give me a Snickers. They remembered the little things. And, you know, from, from my perspective, I thought, wow, I thought they would remember the big vacations and the big presents and, and all this big stuff that we did, but they don't. They remember what it turns out to be are the little special moments that originated from our hearts. And so when I, I started to do my podcast, I came up with the name, The Thousand Year Legacy, simply because if you think about it, everything that we do is part of our legacy. So many People think that a legacy is what people say when you pass away, what they say at your at your funeral. It's not. It's it's what people say about you right now based upon the decision that you just made, based upon the generosity that you just showed, based upon the caring attitude that you have, the sympathy, compassion, empathy that you demonstrate every single day, that the going out of your way to help someone when there's literally no benefit for you. That's part of your legacy. And so that's really what I wanted to try and capture through the podcast is, you know, our legacy, what it is and what it means to people and how we create it. So what I'm hearing you say is that it being leaving a legacy or thinking about your legacy is really synonymous with character. Mm-hmm. Very much. Yeah, it's uh, about the personality traits that you exhibit, how you interact with people, kind of what people say about you. Mm-hmm. That's your legacy. It is. So the importance, why do you feel that that's important? Why is why is your legacy important? Because it's really the only thing I leave behind. I mean, I, I literally, I can leave, um, I could leave $10 million to my kids, but that all that is is paper. All that is is material stuff. It all burns 
the only thing I really leave behind is the love and that I showed, and which is part of my legacy. And when I say a legacy, we have to remember that a legacy can be negative also. You look at someone like Hitler, Hitler left a legacy. It was a horrific, tragic, terrible legacy. And when he turned, you know, if he was to turn around and realize, oh my gosh, this is the legacy I left. Wow. That's really not where I should have gone. But we all leave a legacy and it's up to us. And I hate to use the word, we leave a legacy because we don't. We create a legacy and and then leave it with the people when we go away, when we pass away. But I'm creating it right now. So I don't have to wait until I'm lying on my deathbed and go, this is what I want my legacy to be. No, I'm showing you right now what I want my legacy to be. You know, it's interesting when I think about my own, and I'm going to ask you your what your legacy is, what desired impact you want to have on the world when it's all said and done. When I think about my legacy and something that I've said, and one of the reasons I started my business was because I want to make incremental but sustainable change when it comes to equality and inclusion. And so I think about that in alignment with purpose and passion and your own personal mission statement, right? Mm -hmm. So if you define who you are based off of what your passions are and you build your mission from that, then as you're taking the steps to fulfilling your personal passions, purpose, and mission, you are actually creating a legacy. Do I have that right? Mm Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So what legacy do you want to leave? You know, it's one of those questions that I ask every guest that comes onto my podcast. (laughs) The easiest way for me to say it is when people think about me, all I want them to say is he loved me. He loved me. If my wife, when I, when I go away or, or if I'm on a business trip and something happens, he loved me. If my kids, my grandkids, my parents, he loved me. That's my legacy. I would be happy if that's what they said. That is super profound. And you know, I have to say my personal experience with you really lends itself to that because you were invested in me from the minute we met. And Mm -hmm. I'll just share a story about, you know, my daughter, when we met, my daughter was 13, 14, I believe. And she had a passion for photography Mm -hmm. and she did a photo session and we produced all of those photos on canvas and hung them in a coffee shop. And we had all of those photos um, available digitally. And you, you and I were talking about these photos and you asked to see them and you chose one and purchased one from her. And that to me, there is nothing more touching for a parent than for someone else to invest in their child. Mm-hmm. And you did it from an emotional level and a financial level. And you valued her creativity and work, which is even more profound for me. So the idea that, you know, what you put forth is love to the people that you meet and to the people who are important to the people you meet, you're living your legacy. Mm-hmm. That's my personal example of you achieving that. Well, thank you. And believe it or not, Kim, this is not a joke. I'm sitting in my office and one of the wall on the opposite side of my desk I have a bunch of Marine Corps stuff. I have a bunch of stuff from uh, coaching wrestling. I have something from 
Lonnie Dickinson, that, that a painting that she had that I, I got. I've got my Marine Corps diploma, my U- University of Wyoming diploma, right above my University of Wyoming diploma next to my Marine Corps portrait. Guess what that is? That's a, a windmill. Picture. No, it's a picture <laughs> of the water tower that says winters. Water tower, not a windmill. <laughs> yep. And it says winters on it. I remember buying that. I was so excited when I got that delivered. And I've hung it in my office since day one. I love it. That's right. The water tower. I don't know why I call it a windmill, but um, right. The water tower in winters. Yep. I, I, and I can picture the picture. I mean, I don't have it hanging right in front of me. I have a lot of her artwork in my house. Actually, most people, when they come into my house, they ask me about the artwork and I say, oh, my daughter took that picture. Oh, I, yeah. It's probably awesome. three, three quarters of the artwork in my house. It's awesome. That's amazing. And wow, again, you're just touching my heart. So you're absolutely living your legacy. Thank you. So tell me something. So for people who haven't really thought about their legacy at all, is it important to think about the legacy that they want to leave? It or? is. It, it is mm-hmm. because it's not one of those things that you're you're stuffing stuff into a drawer and someone opens it when you go. You're leaving your legacy right now. Everything, I, I liken it to a fingerprint. If you think about when you walk through a mall or you walk through a store, how many places you leave your fingerprint, your legacy is basically everywhere you leave a fingerprint. For example, I go into the store, uh, to a store in the mall, and I, I'm checking out, and it's taking longer, and I'm a little irritable. Well, I've, I've just demonstrated or left or created part of my legacy right there. That person thinks I'm a jerk. I go out mm-hmm. um, and I'm driving home and someone's um, pulled along the side of the road and it's an elderly woman and her tire's flat. I pull over to the side of the road. I get out. I help her change her tire. I've left my legacy with her. In fact, I've got a story from when I was in college. I was driving from Colorado Springs to Greeley, Colorado late one night. It was about one o'clock at night and I pulled over and to help this elderly lady and her mother change the tire on her car. And it it took a while because it was late and it was dark. But this is what's interesting is that a year later at my wedding, I received a brass door knocker that can be traced back to the late 1800s in England. It was part of her family's heritage. And I had made such an impact on her that she had sent me something of great value for that simple act. That's part of my legacy. So when my kids see that, when I pass away, they know exactly what that is about. And it it says, this is the kind of guy dad was. I want to be like him, hopefully. Hopefully, yeah. Yeah. That's an amazing story. You know, I, it just, first of all, it goes back to the concept of no matter who you are, what you do, what your title is, you can be, because both of us are very focused on leadership, you can be a leader every day in your own life. Mm -hmm. So you have to choose how you're going to lead. And you lead by influence and by putting your best foot forward. Because regardless, again, of all of those things that I just said, title and position, and it doesn't matter. Because if you act in a certain way, you are influencing others to follow your lead. So no matter what situation you're in, you have the capacity to influence, Mm -hmm. to make an impact, to leave a legacy. 
And, you know, I think back to I'm a nurse. I've been a nurse for a very, very long time. And there are some families whose children I took care of when I worked in the NICU who I'm still in touch with. And they are so happy to provide me with updates of how their children are doing. I'm so honored that they would take the time to do it. And they say to me frequently, it's because of you that she is in this place Mm -hmm. or he is in this place to be able to take this step forward. And I just think that they provided me with the opportunity to do that. And it was very important for me in that moment when they as parents were feeling helpless Mm -hmm. about what was happening to their child to make sure that they were as involved and understood the power that they had and the ownership that they had over their child Mm -hmm. and how they could advocate from their child from the minute that baby came into the world. And so, yes, I totally get it. And I hope our listeners get that too, that, you know, it's who you are day in and day out that really create the legacy that you leave, not the millions of dollars that you leave in your wake in the library that your name is on because you gave those millions of dollars. It is a legacy. We can talk about that. You know, leaving endowments, those are legacies. Perhaps you are facilitating the education of youth toward the future, or if it's for a library, you're giving access to experiences and written material that might spark an idea in you that, you know, would change the world. And there are those who leave those types of legacies. But for the everyday man, that every single day, day in, day out, the type of character that you exhibit is really the legacy you leave. So let's talk a little bit, if you would, about endowments and libraries. And, you know, what are your thoughts on that? I think it, I think it actually is part of a legacy. If you look at a um, an individual or a family that leaves an endowment to, say, build a a library in a local community or maybe to to build a a new building on a university campus or something. I think it all goes back to the reason they did it. Did they do it because they wanted their name on a building? And and, and I'll give you two different examples. Uh, I've, I've seen two different libraries. One library at a university has the huge name, the blah, blah, blah building named after the family, right? So, hey, look what we did. I think that is very different versus a library that doesn't have a title sitting over the massive Gothic entryway versus probably a 16 by 20 bronze plaque sitting over here to the side of the entry says, in memory of or donated by this family and why they did it. Mm-hmm. For me, why they donated it, why they donated the $5 million is far more important to me than the fact that they donated $5 million. It could have been $500,000, but they did it for the right reasons, not to have their name stretched across in 150 feet across the entryway of some massive building. There's two different legacies there. One of them says something, and the other one definitely says something. I prefer the brass legacy that says, this is why they did it. We did it because we care. Well, it's interesting that you say that. So we've both had the privilege of working for nonprofits. You know, some healthcare organizations are nonprofit. And you know that one of the major components of working for a nonprofit is fundraising. Mm -hmm. Like most have foundations and they work on fundraising so that it can help fund 
uh, service line development. Um, my, my experience is mainly with hospitals, but I actually sit on a lot of nonprofit boards these days as well. And, you know, it's all about generating revenue so that you can build a new service line and whatever. And a lot of the focus for foundations when it comes to donors is to say, well, you could leave your legacy by having this building named after you or whatever as a mechanism to get people to donate money. But what I find is that the foundations who really focus on the why, Mm -hmm. this is the impact you will make, are significantly more successful. That being said, I have seen families or foundations, private foundations from um, wealthy, you know, families, I've seen them donate money with the expectation then that that provides more privilege for them. And I think that's the not the type of legacy that you're talking about leaving, Mm -hmm. you know, giving an expectation of getting something back. Mm -hmm. You know, that's any type of volunteer and or donation, right? That's any type of work along those lines. Like if you're going to do something with the expectation of getting something in return, then you're not there for the right reason. Nine times out of 10, when you volunteer or give, you do get back something tenfold. And usually it's that warm, fuzzy feeling of I've really helped some people. And, you know, that's, that's giving and volunteering for the right reason. But if you're giving and volunteering and giving because you expect to, you know, get special servants services or see your name in big flashing lights or whatever, then yeah, you're not necessarily coming from the purest of uh, intention, right? I agree. Barbara and I am, so we have three kids. All three kids graduated from from three different high schools, and every year we have what's called the J. Hodges and Associates Scholarship. So, as a as a form of saying thank you for providing the education to our kids, every year, all three of those high schools we provide a scholarship for outgoing seniors, as a way of saying thank you. And you know, Barbara and I, we don't. I mean, we go through and we approve which who gets the scholarship. But most of these people have no idea who we are. They just see J. Hodgen Associates. And we know that we're making an impact on them that could potentially last for the rest of their lives. It's going to impact their career. So legacy and, and doing stuff like that, it's not about us. It goes back to leadership. It's all about the people you're serving. That's exactly right. That is exactly right. So what is your favorite story about a legacy that's been left? Is there is there one that really has been impactful to you personally? And then maybe just your favorite story that you think inspires a lot of different people about uh, someone's legacy. Yeah, I think probably my favorite legacy story to talk about involves my grandfather, Grandpa Harry. And this is, you know, a legacy doesn't have to be something that's worth millions of dollars. A legacy is something that changes someone else, from my parent uh, perspective, for the better. And so when I was, I think, four years old, we used to go to grandma and grandpa's house and they lived out on the farm. And they had this one barn that had sloping roofs that came, you know, seven feet off the ground. So it wasn't real high up. And uh, I used to take rocks and throw them on top of the roof and then try and catch them when they rolled off because obviously there wasn't a whole lot to do out on the farm other than just be outside, which was my favorite thing anyway. So I would sit there and do that for hours on end, click, 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 and try and catch it. But one time I missed the roof and I hit the window that went into the chicken coop. And so Uh I busted out the window. And so Grandpa came out and he was a big man 
and these massive hands. That's what I always remember about him. And he didn't get upset. He just looked at the window, and we walked inside to the chicken coop, picked up the glass, and and uh, I didn't think anything of it. And he said, "Well, you 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 need to pay for this." And I was like, "Oh crud!" So I'm four or five years old. I get an allowance. I think it was fifteen dollars, fifteen cents a week. And so he made me pay my full allowance to replace the window. Now I know that that wouldn't replace the window, fifteen cents. But he made me pay what I had. He made me take responsibility for it. And I never gave it another thought until, oh my gosh, 30 years later, 20, 22 years later, maybe, somewhere around there, my grandpa died of cancer and he was um, on his deathbed and he had just passed away. And my grandma, Grandma Peggy, she walks up to me with this little teeny weeny pillbox. And I'm like, what is this? And so she hands it to me and I open it up and inside the pillbox was a dime a nickel, and a little rock. He had saved for all of those years the dime, the nickel, and the little rock. And it's sitting here on my desk, and it never leaves. It's one of the most precious things in my world. Because Grandpa showed me that it's the little things in life that mean the most. And that for me, that's one of the most defining legacy moments in my life is when I got that little pillbox. And it's one of the reasons that when I do stuff with my kids or I do stuff with my wife, I save the receipts. I, I take lots of pictures. I save little cards and stuff. I've got little teeny weeny pieces of the dentine paper that Brittany has wrote little notes to me on during church from 25 years ago. I still have them in my Bible. For me, when my kids go through my drawer in my bedroom, they're going to see all these notes, all of their stuff from school, all of these things that they've forgotten all about. But they're going to open it up and they're going to see all these things and realize he loved me this much. Yeah. Yep. All those little things that represent for you the joy that they brought to your life. Mm-hmm. I have boxes like that as mm-hmm. well. I have little <laughs> mementos. It's so funny. Rocks. And I have letters that McKenna wrote to Santa Claus. Oh, yeah. you know, I have her first letters that she wrote to me, you know, how in school they have them write a Mother's Day note or something or poems. I have uh, actually, a, I'm looking at my desk right now. I have a haiku that she wrote for me framed. It's sitting right here in front of me that says haiku. Mommy, I love you. Oh. I can always come to you. Kind, <laughs> loving, perfect. Happy Mother's Day. Oh. You know, like, I'm surprised I got through that without bursting into tears because those types of things are what are the most meaningful. And that's what you're saying. It's the little things, mm-hmm. not the big grandiose vacations. And nobody's going to remember the, you know, shoes you had on or the car you drove. Or it's It's truly what Maya Angelou, who is one of my favorite poets, said, people will forget what you say, they will forget what you do, but they will never forget how you made them feel. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You can't forget that because the words you use can be so damaging, but the words aren't going to be what they remember. What's going to be remembered is the fact of how small they felt when you were using those Mm -hmm. words or how crushed they were that what you thought you were bringing to them was going to be great and the value was not seen. The, right. the value was diminished. Your value was diminished. Your light was, you know, 
They were attempting to dim your light. And really, we all know that that's a reflection of them and and the deficits that they have. But the reality is we're human. And that's what sets us apart from the rest of, you know, warm-blooded creatures in the world. And all creatures in the world is the fact that we have these emotions. Right. And we have, you know, that ability to express and to feel emotion. And we have the capacity to impact the emotions of others. Mm -hmm. That's what sets us apart. And so... Truly, 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 if you think about how you make somebody feel, you know, then you really understand the impact that you can have, the type of leader you can be, the type of legacy that you can leave. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think people so many times try and, to what we were alluding to a little while ago, try and tie their legacy to material things. It's not. What, what we leave behind is emotion and from the heart. It's it's not material things. It's uh, what you and I have both seen people that have the the mansions, they have the cars, they have everything in life that a person could ever possibly want, and they kill themselves. And and people sit there and go, why? They they had they had it all. They had it all. No, they didn't. No, they didn't. That's the purpose. That's what we're talking about. They didn't have it all. They just didn't get it. So. Yeah, they had the things, but they didn't have the emotion, right? There was mm-hmm. something. Uh, so that's why they call it retail therapy. Many times, you know, people buy things mm-hmm. hoping to fill a void. And the void really is emotional connection. Mm-hmm. You know, it's about relationships. So yeah, you're right. There are people who surround themselves with, you know, millions and millions of dollars and all of the entrapments of the uber wealthy, but they're so lonely inside. It's like, you know, it's like they say, you can be lonely in a crowd because unless you have that connection, you're truly not getting, you know, the emotional energy, I'll call it. Yep. You're not getting filled up by the light. Yep. So you can't buy a legacy. Let's just say that. You can't buy a legacy and being short isn't a legacy either. Isn't that what you told me? Exactly. Because most people know me as the short, stocky guy. So, but I guess being stocky really is short and stocky really isn't a legacy because I've known some really short people that were probably some of the most impactful people in my life. And I've known some really massive people that were pretty useless, to be honest. So it has nothing to do with size. (laughs) It's the size of the spirit that comes into the room with them. That's what really counts. That's what we're talking about. (laughs) So it's interesting too, because, you know, a lot of times when I'm having dialogue with people, I always say, okay, so we've talked about all these amazing things. So now what's the antithesis to the topic that we're having conversation about? But honestly, we've kind of touched on that, you know, Mm -hmm. the antithesis of Well, have we? Let's explore it a little bit further. So what is the antithesis of leaving a legacy? Obviously, it's not leaving a legacy. But what does not leaving a legacy look like? Or what is, in your definition, the antithesis of leaving a legacy? The antithesis would be to leave the wrong legacy. I think think so. You're still leaving a legacy, though. Yeah, but it's not the legacy that you, you think you're leaving. I think some of it goes back to we have this, uh, we look at ourselves and we are see ourselves very differently sometimes than other people see us. It goes back to leadership. I mean, as, as a leader, what I used to love to do is, is go into a, someone's office that worked for me and say, listen, I just want to kind of do a quick review. And they go, okay, what am I doing wrong? I'm like, no, 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 no. This isn't about you. This is about me. I want you to tell me what I can do better. Where am, where am I struggling? Where I have opportunities to better to do better, to help support you better. 
And I think sometimes the, uh, as leaders, we think this is, this is how everybody sees us, but we never take the time to actually understand from their perspective how they see us. And I think from a legacy standpoint, I think sometimes we can do the same thing. If we never stop, stop long enough to turn around and look behind us and go, oh, that's the legacy I'm leaving to validate that what we're leaving is actually what's behind us. I think that for me, that's the antithesis. That's an interesting concept. And you know what I'm thinking, it's a very interesting perspective because I think about being a leader myself and being in a situation where, or just thinking about my leadership style, you know, I'm one of those people who likes to basically use the lean concept for leadership where you listen to the voice of the frontline experts. You ask the people who do the work, how do you want to do the work that you have to get done? Because they're so creative. They know what they have to do. You know, it's really that inclusive leadership. I paint the picture and say, here's what our challenge is. Let's talk about how we're going to accomplish it. And I celebrate the people and the gifts that they bring to the table because everyone has different gifts. And so you take those gifts and you apply them where they're going to best serve the team. And Everybody is then valued. But there are individuals who no matter what you do or what approach you have or how many times you ask them, what do you need or how can I support you or what's your opinion, their opinion of you never changes. Mm -hmm. Their opinion of you is negative for whatever reason. They're intimidated, they're fearful, they just don't think that you know what you're doing because, you know, you're this young thing and they're more seasoned or something along those lines. And so the legacy you're leaving with them is even though you've tried to be positive, you tried to relate to them one-on-one, the legacy you leave with them is not necessarily positive. So what about that? What about that concept? I don't care about them. You don't care about them. I mean, just to be very honest, I, if if I can, if I do everything I can to support you and help you, and at some point you have to cut your losses. I mean, name one yeah. person in history that made everybody happy. Nobody can, and I, and Nobody. you know, and I share that same thing, Jay, with people all the time, especially people who come to me for leadership development. I say to them, you cannot make everybody happy. Mm-hmm. There are just too many personalities in the world for your style to resonate with everyone. What you can do, I guess I'll ask you, what is it that you can do to try and bring everyone into the fold? And when do you call a spade a spade and say, I've given everything that I can give and now it's on them? I think if you're honest, I think if you're transparent, I think if you're genuine and you're constantly demonstrating integrity and character, I think that's what you have to do. If you do those things and people still struggle to like you, trust you, believe you, blah, blah, blah. That's not your problem anymore. That's their problem. And it's probably has something to do with how they feel about themselves. Most of the time when people are like that, it has more to do with some self-confidence or, or other personal issues than it does with the people around them. There's something inside that you can't fix that. You can't. But you can continue to be, but it's not going to keep me from being who I am, who I've been. I mean, I am who I am. If you don't like me, I understand it. And I think some of this goes back to what we're seeing right now in our culture, which you were talking about, is I don't have to agree with you 
but that doesn't mean that I have to hate you because we disagree. In fact, I could, you and I could disagree on 90% of the subject in the world. I still think you're a phenomenal person. I would still pull over and help change your tire. I would still jump in front of a train for you. We may disagree on almost everything in the world, but I still really like you and I respect you. But I respect the fact that we have different opinions. And I think so. that's something we're losing desperately. We're, we're drastically losing that understanding in this world right now. I agree with you 100%. I'm very, very focused on inclusion. You know, I know diversity, equity, inclusion, justice, those are kind of the buzzwords and belonging. Those are the buzzwords out there right now. But the reality is that each of us, again, I go back to the gifts, each of us has gifts to share. And Mm -hmm. if you focus on the gifts that people bring to the table, it takes nothing to smile at a person and give (laughs) them the gift of, I call it inclusion. When you look at someone in the eye and you smile at them and you ask them how their day went, you are being inclusive, which Mm -hmm. means you are including them in your world, in your sphere of influence, in your space. And there is nothing more valuable than Mm -hmm. that. Absolutely. So, you know, it it just all takes steps into that space. Again, you know, the way they're dressed or the way they talk or, you know, what they're trying to do. I, you know, I think of someone who, you know, the style of dress where the pants hang like down below the hips and the underwear showing and they basically have to hold their pants up in order to walk. That style of dress does not resonate with me. (laughs) It's not something that I could see myself wearing. But if that makes them, you know, if that's their expression of of their individuality and makes them feel powerful and purposeful, more power to them, you know. But I don't have to say, oh, look at that. You know, I don't have to beat them down for that just because I don't care for that style. Mm -hmm. Yeah, agreed. Um, I can just say, say, you know, that's the style you want to exhibit and more power to you. You know, it, if I don't like the way they look, then I can look away. I don't right. have to, you know, be fixated on it. And I think we as a society kind of forget that sometimes. Like everybody isn't your cup of tea and you're not everyone's cup of tea, but that doesn't mean that the tea isn't wonderful. That's exactly right. In Indiana, I'm a fairly conservative, boring person, as my kids would say. And in Indiana, there's a lot of trucks uh, for obvious Mm -hmm. reasons. But then there's a lot of people that have no farms and no property, but they got these big trucks and they jack them up with these lift kits and these huge tires and they put these stacks (laughs) on the back of them and you're driving down and it it, it just... And you're thinking, what a complete waste of money. But that's what they enjoy. I mean, that's they that's enjoy. kind of part of their identity. If 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 that's what they enjoy and they like it, by all means. So to your point, I've I've learned the same thing. Just because I drive a mid-sized domestic vehicle doesn't mean that anybody <laughs> that doesn't drive that is some weirdo. So yeah. Jay, talk to me for just a minute about the individuals who just float through life willy-nilly. What kind of legacy are they leaving? They're still leaving a legacy, but I don't know if it's a legacy that'll last a thousand years. Mm. I mean, it's kind of like if I pick up a a five-pound rock and and climb up a ladder and drop it on your head, that's going to leave a mark, right? But if I... (laughs) 
Yeah. If I if I climb up that same ladder and drop a feather on your head, you're not even probably going to feel it. That's that's the legacy some people leave. I personally want to leave a legacy that's not going to, you know, give you a concussion. I want to leave a legacy that you're going to feel, that you're going to know I was there and that you're going to carry with you for a while. So, that's how I look at people that really just float through life. And it's not necessarily purposeful, right? It's not a purposeful legacy. But then again, we were just saying that if we are just true, true to our heart and are solid in character, coming from a place of wanting to help our fellow man, then that's a pretty solid legacy. So you can float through life willy-nilly and it all ba- basically comes back down to the character to your mm-hmm. character and the impact that you make on one individual in any given moment right well it's like bill yeah. gates or steve jobs they've left massive legacies um impacting you know hundreds of millions of people potentially potentially billions of people but their legacy to be honest is no more important than the the dad who, you know, makes $35,000 a year and is just scraping by with his wife and two kids. And he's perfectly content being a dad and providing for his kids and then working, you know, 60, 70, 80 hours a week to get his kids through college debt-free. His legacy, in my opinion, is just as impressive as a Bill Gates or, or a, a Steve Jobs. And great example, GE, Jack Welch. You know his legacy, and, and and you know GE had this this concept where they would you know really promote the top ten percent, the middle eighty percent. You know they were the the majority of the people, and then the ten percent each year they would basically try and cut. Now that all sounded really good for several years, but I've talked with a bunch of people that worked at at GE, and what it did is it created a culture where people were backstabbing, throwing each other under the bus because they wanted to be mm-hmm. part of that 10%. And look where GE is right now. They are struggling. And yes, they a culture, are. Mani- culture manifests itself, not in days, not in months, not in years. It manifests itself in decades. And guess what? We're seeing the result of Jack Welch's quote-unquote leadership style at GE right now. And I know some people may out, out there may disagree with that, but that's fine. We don't have to hate each other. I disagree. And it's just, it's sad because you take a look at a Toyota, um, which I worked for, and their culture has pretty much stayed the same. And guess what? They're still successful. Yeah, they're very focused on culture and mm-hmm. giving voice to the frontline experts. I mean, it's all about lean. That's where, you know, lean manufacturing came from. Mm-hmm. The, the theory of lean. So I'm curious, are we talking Jack Welch who has the, um, now the MBA program and all of these yep. leadership courses and yep. that Jack Welch? <laughs> that Jack Welch. I mean, it, I mean, seriously, 20 years ago, did Jack Welch think that GE would be where it is today and that they would have the culture that they're demonstrating today? Probably not. Probably so that not. goes back to thinking that his, his legacy is this, then he's written books and there's been books written about it and all this stuff. But 20 years later, his legacy doesn't look like he thought it would. And, right. and I think that's one of the, those those moments where you realize, oh, crud, I turned around and when I was walking, I thought I was leaving this legacy and this is where it turned out to be. So, Well, so to your point of if you think about every day, your actions every single day being 
amounting to the legacy that you leave, once he realized, wow, I left a legacy that I thought was going to be positive. I left a legacy on GE that I thought was going to be positive and it didn't. And this is what I learned. And let's take what I learned and apply it to moving forward. To me, to me, that would give his legacy so much more positivity. Because being able to admit your faults or admit, be vulnerable and admit be authentic and admit your failings, which I'm not caught into the word failings. I don't really, uh, I don't really like the word failings because really failings is, are just information that you gather. So you can, to Henry Ford's point, begin again more intelligently. Mm -hmm. So, but if you admit to the vulnerability, if you admit to the fact that things didn't go the way you planned and then speak on that, and change your leadership lessons to include that, then to me, you're leaving a more positive legacy, even though the legacy you thought you were were leaving ended up being not so positive. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the people that that make mistakes, they can actually leave a more positive legacy than they would have if they didn't make the mistake because they're humble enough to admit, you know what, this may not have been the best course and we discover this, and if, if it allows other people to learn without making that mistake, that's a huge part of a legacy. So absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, p- helping people avoid pitfalls, that's, uh, mm-hmm. that's huge. That's huge. So again, once again, Jay, we have chatted for well over an hour. Oh, my. And it's always easy conversation, but I do have a closing question. Just like you ask, what do you want your legacy to be? My question to you is, One, let me just thank you for being on the show because it's such an honor to have your expertise and your gifts and your just amazing spirit shine through in dialogue. And also, I would like to know what's your parting message to our listeners out there today? You know, for me, if 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 uh, after we hung up, if if a meteor landed on my house, hopefully just taking me out, not my dog and my wife. Um, if, but if a meteor landed on my house, the last thing you ever heard from Jay Hodge was make leadership not about you, make it about your people. That would be my parting message is the leadership is never, ever, ever about you. You take care of your team. Your team will take care of you. Everything else will fall in place. Wise words. So once again, thank you so very, very much. And as always, it's a pleasure to have this time to talk with you and to hear your wisdom. And I certainly hope that uh, the weather there, even though it's snowing, is uh, still beautiful (laughs) and something that you can enjoy. And I'll think of you when I'm sitting out in the 85 degree weather here. (laughs) You know, that meteorite I was just talking about, I'm I'm hoping that it's coming closer to you than me right now. Then (laughs) after saying that, you deserve it. Even if it's just a little one, something peck you on the back of the head. Uh, well, thank you, Kim. Thank you I so know. much for, for having me today. It has been a pleasure and I appreciate all you do and the message that you're sharing with the with the world. Likewise. So Jay, just uh, tell me and our listeners, should someone want to get a hold of you, what's the best method? Um, and also, how do we listen to your podcast? Sure. If uh, someone wants to get a hold of me, they can reach out through my email. They can actually go to my company website, www.thelettergehodgeassoc.com. They can email me um, through the website or just email me at jay.hodge at 
the letter J, H-O-D-G-E-A-S-S-O-C.com. And if they wanted to um, listen to any of the podcast episodes, they can find me on Stitcher, Pandora, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, any of those um, have all of the podcasts. Listen, just pull up The Thousand Year Legacy and you'll see the episodes. Wonderful. Take a little time to listen in to Jay's Thousand Year Legacy podcast. You will enjoy that dialogue. You'll be grateful that you took the time to listen in. And as always, if you need a fantastic consultant to help you come in and build a lean culture and develop lean leaders, don't hesitate to reach out. Thank you, Kim. The main takeaway message received from Jay today during the interview is that professional culture, the culture you have at work, is like your personal legacy, something that you have to work on every day. Legacy is more about your character and your actions being consistent with your character than the money that you leave when you're gone. What people remember about you, again, your legacy, are the little things that make a big impact. And if you are privileged enough to be able to leave an endowment or make a financial contribution to a cause, the intent you have when making that donation speaks to your character and subsequently the true legacy that you leave. While being short isn't a legacy, being big in heart is. The legacy I want to leave is a more inclusive and equitable world. Every day this is achieved by sharing the hard lessons I've learned along the way and hope that someone else can avoid those potholes in the future. The Pricked interviews take that concept further by sharing the stories of others, and by stories I mean experience and skills, which are also known as our gifts, we create connection by finding commonalities in both heartbreak and success. Just think, the story you share today can be the fuel that powers lasting change tomorrow. We all need fuel, personally and professionally. That could be in a great meal, it could be an inspiration, it can be the love of your children. What fuels this podcast, the book, and the greatest gift development courses is your interest. If you like what you hear, please connect with me on social media and subscribe to my YouTube channel. On LinkedIn, it's Kim-Brown-Sims, and that's one M in Sims. On Facebook, it's Kim.BrownSims, all one word. On Instagram, it's at Kim-Brown-Sims underscore and on Twitter, it's at ConsultingKBS. The YouTube channel is Pricked Channel, Pricked as in P-R-I-C-K-E-D. And if you would like to, look for my book coming soon and available for pre-order on my website, KimBrownSims.com. I'm also available for speaking engagements, where in my Pricked presentation, I speak to a wide range of general and corporate audiences with humor and passion about the pricks that have held me back, the pricks that I have given as a nurse, and how the pricks in our lives can inspire great, powerful, and urgent action. Talking about pricks yet again, I have certainly endured a multitude of them throughout my three-decade-long career in leadership. I've had the privilege to teach personal and professional development skills, most, but not all, acquired through experiences where I too have been pricked. The first lesson learned is that you must define what success looks like for yourself. 
No one will be able to give you accolades, propel you to greatness, or fill your bucket enough. You have to decide for yourself what qualities, achievements, and milestones bring you fulfillment. Waiting for praise and being envious of others' accomplishments are futile endeavors. When you are ready to define what success looks like for you, hone into your gifts and experience what sharing your true and authentic gifts with the world feels like, sign up for my course, The Greatest Gift, so that you too can achieve the success that you desire. Talking about pricks yet again, I have certainly endured a multitude of them throughout my three-decade-long career in leadership. I've had the privilege to teach personal and professional development skills, most, but not all, acquired through experiences where I too have been pricked. The first lesson learned is that you must define what success looks like for yourself. No one will be able to give you accolades, propel you to greatness, or fill your bucket enough. You have to decide for yourself what qualities, achievements, and milestones bring you fulfillment. Waiting for praise and being envious of others' accomplishments are futile endeavors. When you are ready to define what success looks like for you, hone into your gifts and experience what sharing your true and authentic gifts with the world feels like, sign up for my course, The Greatest Gift, so that you too can achieve the success that you desire. In good health and happiness, until next time, remember, don't be a prick, because that would be a horrible legacy to leave. Every day, we are challenged by the pricks in the world in which we live. What we have to hold on to are the little things that bring us joy and connect us to one another. Knowing our passions, purpose, and gifts help us focus on those moments when passion is experienced, our purpose is fulfilled, and our gifts are recognized. When we share our gifts, what is returned is beyond the imagination. It brings us together, helps us see commonalities, allows us to celebrate our differences, ultimately creating a beautiful, inclusive, equitable, and previously unimagined world. Let's take the gift of being pricked and use it to create great, powerful, and impactful action now. And remember, take a moment to thank the pricks in your life for giving you the shot in the ass that inspired you to greatness. Have a great day. And remember, don't be a prick.